for God so loved the world. Love is patient, love is kind. It's all happening with love and it was just overwhelming and it has been overwhelming to me all week. I have had the perfect week to like get the, you know, the great story and the great structure and things like that. I've discovered that I love AFL. <laughs> yep, I went to my first game ever and I'm a diehard now, so there's that. Um, I spent a week in Melbourne, which I love, with people that I love, and we topped it off last week with Dan and last night with Dan and Eb's marriage, the beginning of that, which was lovely. So I've had all these opportunities to kind of be like, yeah, I'm going to speak about that and it's going to be awesome and it's going to be fruits of the spirit and everyone's going to get it and be challenged and convicted and I have had nothing, nothing. I reckon I've written nine or ten sermons that have no end, that just like start really like powerfully and it's like, the church, we do this and we do that and we've got to do this and what am I saying? Like on and on and on and on and on and on, like I I have... I'm not underprepared, but I did not have a message until last night when I was like, we've got to go. And I was like hyper aware. I told Meg, I was sitting next to her at the wedding. I was like, girl, I'm preaching tomorrow and I don't know what I'm saying. (laughs) And Meg was like, when are you going to figure it out? I was like, the Lord's got to do a thing. (laughs) And of course, it's tonight where we get an hour less sleep. So cheated. Anyway, so... Here I was all week. I was like, Jack, you go out. I'm going to stay home with my Bible. I'm going to start writing this message so I can start practicing it. It's not going to hinder on the wedding and things like that. I read so much and I prayed so much. And all I felt like God was saying was, don't overcomplicate what I have already simplified. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Threw out all my convicting messages. Actually, no, I kept them just in case I was going to bring them today. But I actually feel like that's what's gotten the church in so much trouble in the last decades of years. We have overcomplicated and messed up and overthought and overanalyzed what God has already simplified. So many verses in the Bible are black and white. I can't improve upon them. I can't make them better, explain them better, because love is patient, love is kind. God says, love one another as he has loved us. These things are black and white. And then I was kind of like, well, I guess it's not appropriate to just like come and read the New Testament or like, you know, songs of songs or something like that. I feel like I really wouldn't get a chance to come back up here then. So I needed to find this like middle ground kind of thing. And um, I think that I came up with this idea yesterday But I was like, if someone's going to do it, someone's got to do it. But I'm a structured learner, right? I like to write lists. And when I hear people teach a message, I like to be able to like visualize where it goes. I take notes. I like them to be good looking notes. I see all these girls take notes. They like good looking notes too. And, um, and I was like, you know what? I wasn't, I never went to kids church. I never experienced fun things like this. I'm going to do an acrostic poem. That's right, everyone. Nat King Cole style, L-O-V-E. You can't do this for gentleness. You can't do this for self-control because there's too many letters. But four points, everyone, for overarching, really applicable points to why the Bible is awesome, love is awesome, and what God has already written is what we need to know. Sound okay? Okay. An acrostic poem, everyone, you can go and say, like, 
Lisa, this is your first time in church. You're going to be like, this church was weird. There was people yelling and I don't know what was happening. They did an acrostic. Is that normal? Normal's what you make it, girlfriend. (laughs) I'm going to pray. Is that all right? God, thank you so much that you let us still have fun in your house, Lord that you've made each of us the church and we are what you make us, Lord. I pray that your word is sharper than a two-edged sword and you will cut through every presupposition, every pre-existing condition of hurt love in our heart and you will cut through it, Lord, Lord, so we have a new, refreshed revelation of your love, God, and that it will affect how each of us walk out today, that the fruits of your spirit, that love will be overbounding, it will outpour onto others, and we will be the beacon of your light in our community, Lord. And we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So first, we've got L. Wait, everyone knows what I mean by the Nat King Cole song, right? Yes. Gazy's already singing it. So every time I was writing, I was like, L is for the way. Anyway, I told myself I wouldn't, like, I was like, don't even, like, don't even joke about singing the song. I've done it at L. But L... If you're taking notes, you girls are taking notes, right? Good. L, loved people, love people. So you've know, you know that um, like kind of saying or phrase or whatever that says like hurt people hurt people? When someone might mistreat you or speak badly about you or push you away. But more often than not, and I would say all of the time, that kind of behavior is a projection of the own fracture in their heart. They're treating you badly because they've got something going on in their own heart. And that's sometimes a hard one to hear when we don't deserve to be hurt and we don't deserve to be mistreated. But it's the condition of their heart. And if the condition of our heart dictates how we treat others, I would like to add to that saying, and I would like to say that loved people love people and forgiven people forgive people. And people who have been generous, lavished on, can lavish on others, right? So Jesus says, and this is like a common scripture, like nothing new here. Jesus says in Matthew 22, when he's asked by all the religious skeptics of the world, they say, well, what would you say is the most important commandment of all of them? And he says two, he says, love God. And then the second one, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Awesome. That's a, that's a great answer, Jesus. Foolproof again. But then later in his ministry, Jesus says to his disciples in John 13, he says, you know what, guys? Let me give you a new command. Love one another in the same way as I have loved you. You love one another. I'm going to read that again because it's awesome. He says, let me give you a new command. Love one another. Right, Jesus, we already got that. Love one another as your neighbor. But in the same way as I have loved you, you love one another. And this word for new that Jesus uses here, in Greek it's actually the word kainos, which doesn't mean that something's like brand spanking new. It means that it's like the new and improved version. It's the improved version of something that already exists. Even better than the original. So see, in the original commandment, My love and your love for other people is dependent on how much and how well I love myself. And in today's society, I don't want to be treated the way we love ourselves. 
those voices that you tell yourself, bringing yourself down, I don't want that put on me. And the way I hold things against myself and bring up past sins, I don't want to put that on you. That is not the way we're designed to love ourselves because we're vessels of God. And that is definitely not the way that God wants us to love other people. But in Jesus' new commandment, the way we love others is dependent on how much God loves us. He loves us endlessly. He loves us graciously and generously. He forgives us every single day, every single step of our life, he forgives us. And to love people with reckless forgiveness, with supernatural selflessness, and without conditions, then we need to know that we are loved like this first. And love like this can't come from ourselves. It can only come from knowing that we are loved first and we are loved by a good God. We are loved by a generous God. And when we can't love people right, it shows a fracture in our relationship, not between the person, but between us and our God. So if you're, you're in a place where you're struggling to love someone right and you know, oh, I have no patience for this person. I cannot forgive this person for that. Stop looking at this sin and start seeing what's wrong between you and God because loved people love people all the time. Because when I know how much God has forgiven of me, this sin here, easy to forgive because I am just overflowing with forgiveness. So loved people love people. That's number one. Easy, right? Four letters. We're good. Quarter of the way through according to my calculations. Hmm? Number two. Oh. The overflow. Yeah, I know. It's impossible to not want to sing the song because it's great. Anyway, O is for the overflow. Totally different from point number one. So we're moving because love is broad. That's not a scripture. So in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, Paul tells us that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Churches are awesome. Church on a Sunday is a great place for us to meet. But this is not God's dwelling place. This is God's dwelling place. In all of us, we are God's moving, talking, living, breathing dwelling places. And this is seriously one of my favorite scriptures ever. Because I just like, again, I'm a visual person. But I just imagine the inside of my body, like organs and bones and stuff, all gone is just like an old school church inside and it's empty and there's bricks and there's stained glass and it's lovely and it's a vessel of God. But this revelation only kind of like got built and became real to me super early on in my church life. And when I first started coming to church, which was only a couple of years ago, maybe like four, I think, um, It was the worst couple of weeks of my life. And after I started coming to church, my life got progressively worse. Like, that's not a promise for everyone just starting to come to church. Don't worry. Come to church. It's terrible. But it's only hindsight that makes me be able to actually appreciate this and appreciate what what God was doing. Because the second time I was in church, I said, all right, Jesus, I'll let you in. And then (laughs) each week after that, I just felt like things were falling from my life. And in, in hindsight, it's awesome. At the time, it hurt. 
and it was painful. And we got to a point maybe six or seven weeks after I first started coming to church. Beachy drove me to church this day. Jared met me here. You guys can vouch for this, that I got here after what I would confidently say was the worst week of my life. Confidently. And as soon as I got here, I started bawling my eyes out, audible sobbing, not like a polite, like dabbing with a tissue, like people were going away from me. (laughs) I didn't even make it into church for the like first part of worship or the message or anything. I was like out there just bawling my eyes out. Jared was there too and just being like, what is happening? And I went and sat right on the second, second row from the back up there. Still bawled my eyes out. It was one of those messages that felt like it was being preached at me. And then right at the end, I felt like, this is me. I'm at rock bottom. I'm totally, completely empty. And Amazing Grace was playing. (laughs) And it just felt like the Holy Spirit rushed in. And only in hindsight can I realize that God was doing a detox on my temple. You know, he was taking, I, I was not a Christian for like 22 years of my life. I had accrued a lot of bad stuff in my temple in that time. I had toxic relationships. I had bad habits. I had bad mindsets. And God just couldn't add some love on top of that for me to be wholly committed to him. He needed to empty and drain it out, clean it out completely and start from the bottom. And when he started from the bottom, when I was totally empty, refreshed and clean, the Holy Spirit rushed in. And I can say since then, I have been filled with his love every single day. I can testify to that. I've got emotions. We don't always need a detox though, fear not. (laughs) Because sometimes when we know his love, it can still be easy to just kind of like let some stuff in, into the temple, you know, some dirt on the walls or someone like came through with muddy footprints all over our heart or things like that. It doesn't take a detox. But God's love is so pure and so effective and it says that the blood of Jesus wash away, washes away our sin. And that might be a hectic thing to hear. The blood washes away sin. But God's grace is so pure and so effective that we are filled with his love. And when we are filled with his love, it's just a natural response to overflow and spill out onto other people. So when our temple is filled with love that is riddled with toxicity and spills and things like that, then we project and we spill that onto people around us. That bitterness that we held inside us, that's coming out as unforgiveness on someone else now and judgment on someone else now because we're not keeping our temple clean. And the last thing I want to say on the overflow is that we're not designed to have love just sloshed in and out of us. We need to keep ourselves filled all the time. It's easy to feel filled after a Sunday when worship is awesome and the message is great and morning tea is awesome and, you know, that person really encouraged me and it's awesome and then Wednesday comes and you're yelling at someone at work and you're writing judgmental messages about that friend you just caught up with. You're not designed to be filled and emptied and filled and emptied because that way we will never be the light of Christ in our community. If you are inconsistent in your love, you will be known for that. But God wants to fill us up and God wants to clean us and refresh us every single day. Every time you ask him, he will be faithful to that. 
His blood and his grace and Jesus dying on the cross is enough for that. V, we're here. And V was like the hardest one for me. Seriously, I was like, V words, victim, vandal, like all of these like really hectic words. And so before Ebony's wedding, we all like had a sleepover and Emily and I was like, Emily, what's a good V word? And she honestly like preached this mini sermon about valuing others. And I was like, girl, that's amazing. And I was like, I'm going to preach that. I'll give you credit. I'll give you credit, but I'm going to preach that. It was amazing. And I felt God last night saying, "Mm, mm, mm, mm-mm-mm-mm. Girl, that's for you. That's not for the church. And I was like, oh, I'm back without a V. <laughs> and then on our way home from the wedding, Jack and I were just talking and, you know, we were just reflecting on the wedding. And Jack just like threw randomly in because he's a low key genius. He was like, you know, and I just had to read it verbatim. And I was like, verbatim? I don't know what that is. I, I'm not joking, guys. I thought verbatim was a brand of computer. I'm not just saying that. I'm, I'm 100% sure I can see the word verbatim like on a black screen. Like, is that not a thing? Yes. Dies vouching for me. I thought it was a computer. And I did like five minutes of a law degree. So like, I sh- feel like I should know what it actually means. I wrote down the definition for those in the similar boat to me. Because at the time when we were conversing, I didn't tell him this. I was like, yes, verbatim. <laughs> And then I Googled it. <laughs> but the definition, it just means in exactly the same words as we used originally. And this one is for all of us to learn how to love more. Jack's example of it, the verbatim was he got a list of things and he just, like, I mean, if I was just reading this word for word, I would be reading verbatim. Everyone's looking at me like, yeah, I know what verbatim is. Okay. But... This was the challenge that I had all week with trying to write a verse, a sermon on love. It is already written. And this is honestly for all of us. There is no teacher, no sermon, no podcast, no book, no inspirational quote that will teach you about love or how to love like the Bible does. The words are written perfectly. It is the greatest love story ever told. And my advice, real and sincere, is to read the Bible. I don't know if that's a cop-out point, but read the Bible consistently and diligently. And every single time you open that, that book, ask the Lord to reveal true love to you. Ask him to reveal, God, how do you love me through this story? And God, how am I supposed to love others through this story? Because there is no word like the living word of God. His word is perfect, it is finished, and every single one of them can be used for teaching us. And he promises them. And that's V. That's a good one, right? Yeah. And if you're like, how do I start reading the Bible? Google, what does the Bible say about love? And I can guarantee you'll find more than enough information (laughs) to write a sermon on. (laughs) And E, if are you guys going to sing a song after this? Do you want to come up now? Because this is E and it's the last letter. Actually, I'm going to go to lovely. I've just decided. Thought of an L and a Y. (laughs) E is even when. And how easy is it to excuse ourselves from loving someone else the way we know we should? 
the even when is one of my personal favorites because when I'm being particularly bratty with the Lord, I don't want to forgive them. Even when they did this to me, even when they are still saying that about me, do I still have to love them even when they are still hurting me? Yes, is the answer that the Lord gives. Even when you are being hurt, even when you are being attacked, we show love. And you know why? Because we are called to love people like Christ loved us. And you know how he loved us? He went up that cross that day. He bore our sins. He wore the weight of the world on his shoulders. And you know what he said? He said, forgive them, Father, for they know what, not what they do. Even when they did know what they were doing, they didn't accidentally hang him on that cross. They didn't accidentally crucify him. They knew what they were doing. And when people still know what they're doing to us, we forgive them and we ask for forgiveness for them because that is the revelation of true love. While you were still sinning, while I was still sinning, while we were still in this a bad relationship, while we were still bending the rules, while we were still abusing the substance, Jesus knew. And he said, even when you're doing that, even when you know that breaks my heart, I will take your sin. I will take your shame. I will take your hand. I will forgive you and I will love you relentlessly. That is how we are loved and that is how we are called to love others. Jesus took it all and he loved us with an even when attitude and it is our honour, church, and it is our privilege to know his love and pass it on to those around us without conditions because loved people love people always. So can I pray and we're going to worship? God, thank you so much for loving us first. Thank you so much for taking everything that we've done, everything that we will do, and still filling filling us up with a relentless grace, Lord, with forgiveness that surpasses understanding and promising us a life of fellowship with you, Lord. Not a once-off forgiveness, not a once-off decision, but a love that endures through every season, God. I just pray that every single person here, Lord, will have a new revelation today and into this week of how good you are to us, Lord. And I ask that our natural reaction would be fresh, that we could love others in the same way as you have loved us, Lord, selflessly, generously, and even when circumstances are against us, Lord. Let the application of love be divinely led and to bring glory to your name, your precious name, Jesus. Amen.